Mana 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 this is Social Disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is an actor and improviser who last year had two things come out in the form of the Netflix series Brew Brothers and the movie Guest House, also available on Netflix. He's a chess fanatic, a language lover, and according to Spotify, his audio aura is chill and confused. Please welcome Mike Castle. Welcome. Yo, what's up? Hey, what's up? <laughs> I am it's, a chess fanatic. I knew, I assumed that that was going to come up, uh, but it's something I, I always want to say I, I hate. I really hate chess, but it's like, once you get hooked, it's impossible to get unhooked. Yeah, I definitely do want to talk about it, and I, but what about it, though? Like, what spurned your interest in chess? Well, it's just, it's, it's infinite. It's like there is so many ways for every single game to go, and there's so many different forms of accuracy throughout every game. It's like, it's just, I can, you, you, you never conquer it. Like, I, I recently got into, uh, uh, it's called speed cubing, where you do like the Rubik's Cube or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, at a, at a certain, once you really learn like the algorithm for doing it, it's like there is never, you'll never have one that you can't solve. It's done. It's like, it's all done. All you got to do is kind of the same shit as fast as you can, whatever. But that is just not the case for chess. So it's this like infinite sort of like permutation landscape that makes it, you know, so that right when you finish a game, you can start to think about ways it could have gone. And it's, there's just billions of permutations for how it could have gone. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Like the, I don't know. I I guess when thinking about something that, feels like the infinitesimal nature of it, that that could either be extremely intimidating or very enticing for some it, well, people. Yeah, it's, it's once you once you push past the intimidating aspect of it, like whenever I introduce it to somebody or force someone to play it, I feel like the first several games are like, you have to like kind of assure someone that you don't think they're dumb if they play poorly or something. Yeah. Because it seems it's so inherently intimidating. But it's like... it. Once you get past that, then it's like now you've opened, you know, the the vein for the the pure addiction of it. Okay, I can see that. Like it's yeah. Once you you learn the basics to some degree, then you can understand like how exciting it can be. It, it literally starts to become fun to lose as well. Like it's it's very rare to me in that way where it it becomes so unbelievably frustrating to lose that the frustration it's almost like a form of masochism where it kind of feels good. <laughs> yeah, you know the sad part is it when you just said that I'm like oh god. This is right up my alley. Yeah, no, I, but my my genuine belief is it's right up everybody's alley. They just like need the right entry point. They need it to not be like a nerd in the high school chess club who's like telling them they're dumb if he beats them. But it's got to be someone who's like it. It's that it's fun to lose basically because you'll get really used to losing and then it kind of doesn't matter and then you 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 try to yeah you, yeah it's just deeply addicting uh, once th- you get into it. I think that makes sense too. I think yeah to your point. For me, it's all about just, I don't know, communicating it in the right way to where I, I know towards new things, I'm very dumb. Oh, yeah, me too. But then when it clicks, I got it. Yes. And I always get there. It just, you know, certain things take longer. But I just have to like, I really, I have to lose. Yes. And then I learn quickly. Yes. Same. Same, same, same. So, yeah. So right now, the World Chess Championships are happening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're but, over now, basically. I mean, yes. The... <laughs> Even I know that, and I know yeah. nothing. It's that, you know, in the last two matches, basically, Jan uh, Nepomniachi. Pretty close. Nepomniachi. Nepomniachi. Okay. Yeah. 
Only because I've heard all the commentators say it so many times. Fair enough. It's uh, it's a complicated last name. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just calls him Nepo. And then I want to call him Ian. Yes, yes, Jan. yes. Uh, on, only during this this uh, the the World Championships have I learned that it's Jan. I've always, I mean, I just always have called him Nepo. Um, Nepo. And then hearing them all say Jan, I was like, oh no shit. Oh, okay. I uh, I know today, this today being the seventh. Yeah. Game he nine. had his uh, second. No, his third, his third loss. It's, it it, that's third? what I'm saying. It's over. It's totally okay. Over. Well, the the phrasing I believe uh, that um, Magnus Carlsen said was that he's can be prone to blunders. I believe was his phrasing. Today. He said that about Nepo. Yeah. Oh yeah, and blunder is like the chess parlance for like uh, basically an objectively bad move that leads to a, a losing permutation for the side of the blunderer. Oh, so it's an even more loaded word. Yeah, it, it's word. like oh, a okay. fully. It's actually a thing where I I'll say it when I'm talking to someone. I literally will say I'm blunder prone when talking about chess, and people think it's like a kind of um, I don't know, like it's almost like a grand term. But I'm like, no, that's actually literally the official computer analysis term. Oh, okay. I yeah. did. I had no like idea. after games. After you do a game, if you do computer analysis, it tells you like basically to me, it's like the game is a total bust if I had any blunders. And blunders okay. are, happen all the time, but it's like the better you get, the fewer blunders you make. But but Jan does make it's because he plays too fast. He he's like he he's like you know there's there's blitz chess, there's bullet chess, and there's classical chess, mm-hmm. and he's really good at bullet. Um, but it, it be because of being a fanatical chess person myself, and then occasionally like being on a show or something, I I've gotten like chess actual professional chess players to become my friend. And oh, nice. so it's the best. It's like truly one of the best aspects of doing uh, this job I do. But um, uh, a lot of them will tell me specifically when I talk about how, uh, you know, I want to improve at chess or whatever. They all say just not to play bullet, which is the one minute games, because it like conditions you to get worse in these very specific kinds of ways. Oh, it creates bad tendencies for other yes, games. And, and like, you know, if, if you think of the game as sort of a rote learning experience where you over and over, you're seeing the same patterns and responding in the same way. If you're doing bullet, that means that you're forcing further like rote stuff into a smaller time frame, And so you're getting more used to making quickly and poorly thought out moves. Okay. Yeah. So it can like it can breed impatience, I guess. Yes, 100%. And there's actually a thing I learned from Magnus, which is, I think it's from like the probably Norwegian school of chess, but it might be from somewhere else. Um, That's basically like he had this chess master when he was a kid say like, you know, the starting rule when you're learning chess is that you should sit on your hands to basically just prevent yourself for like that one extra second before making a bad move. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it also makes sense though, now that I know that, just because looking at their time differences. Yes. Throughout the matches, they are dramatically different. Yes. Like and and so Magnus, I don't know about. how much research you've done on this, but you know, Magnus is considered like the greatest possibly of all time, you know? like Well, that's what I was going to ask you, though, because I know I've watched the documentary on him oh, before, yeah. which is that, really that interesting. That documentary is actually what got me into chess. That's from 2013. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched it. I thought it was really interesting. And, yeah. you know, and even previous to that, I mean, years ago, I was just, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated by like prodigies and geniuses, uh-huh. of, regardless of the background of them. You know, not just like chess or anything, but that was also part of it with like Bobby Fischer, uh, Gary Kasparov, Kasparov or Kasparov. I know, know, dude. That's one I, I, I basically refuse to say that one, right? It just sounds yeah. too much. Kasparov. I, I've always, yeah, I've always yeah. read it as Kasparov in my head. And it sounds so it, cooler. It, it's, it literally I mean, yeah, sounds like better. It. So it's it's weird to, un, it's hard for me to undo it. So I, I, I just say both of them, I guess, at this point. But 
But even like his matches against Deep Blue, I thought were fascinating. Yeah. And I, uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer was a big movie for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that movie. And it's always funny. I know so many people who that's like a huge movie for them, but they don't play chess. I, I kind of like can't imagine that. It seems like there's some kind of cognitive dissonance there. Yeah, it is odd. I, I agree. But something about it just completely resonated with me. Yeah. Without, <laughs> but apparently not in a way that in any way made me try the game that it's about. Yeah, well, maybe but, it's like you, you have the moment where you go like, but I am not a chess genius. <laughs> yeah. And then that makes you go like, so fuck that. I don't want to even tr- do it. Well, I can't, yeah. I'm like, well, I can't be Josh Waitzkin, so I guess that's how. <laughs> but it's, uh, but I mean, anyway, the, the point of that is that with Magnus Carlsen, that's what I'm curious about. Like, how how good is he? It it. it, it it, I, I I have to again say it is it is he is fully the reason I started playing chess. Like, it's not just that I was like, wow, this guy's so cool. It's that like, looking at his games, it 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 like it was like my first time getting high on chess, where it was like, the positions are so confusing to look at mm-hmm. that I was like, what is this? Is because I played like some chess as a kid, and my dad liked chess. And so, like, I was familiar with it, but I would look at his stuff and I just go, like, this is so crazy. I don't understand it. And then I kind of did more research on him or whatever, and I, I watched uh, a ton of his games, and I kind of discovered that's, like, part of his style of play is that it it's – it they you know, they call him, like, the Mozart of chess, and that's actually a phrase that people actually do say about him. It's not, like, a wow. nickname that people don't actually say. Yeah. Um, But it's because of that where it's, like, the it all just – it's this like preternatural understanding that is also incredibly complex. Like it's not just that he has like an amazing memory, which he definitely does. Like there are videos of him where uh, there's this great chess website called chess base India. And what like the main host from that, he goes to all the games, does all this commentary, all this stuff. And he quizzes Magnus on nine random famous chess positions. So it would be a picture of a board Mm-hmm. and you have no idea who played the game, you have no idea when it was, and you, you just look at this thing. And he would literally look at it and go like, oh, yes, okay, this is Vishyanyan versus Gary Kasparov. This is in 1997. This is game six of the World Chess Championship, whatever. And then he'll go, and then the next move is knight to c6, and the next, you know, and and it, it is literally, it is eidetic memory, you know, like it's per- perfectly uh, uh, visualized the entire thing. Like he gets all of them right. They're not even his own games. And then it's like he can do the same thing with his own games. Uh, and he's also the first person, he, he has the highest rating ever reached in chess, which is 2882, yeah. I think. And uh, which basically is like the, you know, as you climb the rankings ladder or whatever, it's like basically when you get to the top, no one's ever gotten like to 3000, but that's theoretically possible or whatever. Um, But so he's attained the highest rating ever. And then on top of that, he's also the world number one in all three of the chess formats in bullet blitz and classical. That like, seems it's just insane. Is like that, it, 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 it is that, that level of like it, it's extraordinary. Where it's okay. just it's unbelievable. That's incredible. I know that the memory thing I read about how when he was five, he he memorized all the maps. Yeah, all yeah. the maps and like the population and the yes. country and everything in yeah. that, which is just I mean, it's very impressive. It's totally impressive, but and it also indicates that he has just like a ravenous mind for data. Because he's yeah. also like a soccer freak, loves basketball. Uh, as I understand it, listens to a lot of comedy podcasts, which is true. <laughs> I've heard this is the case. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
I also threw my, I have one mutual or I have a few mutual friends with him, but one who is like a legit friend of his, uh, who told me that he, he, that Magnus felt that the, uh, that documentary about him slightly overemphasized the like, like, uh, like child prodigy genius freakness of him or whatever, where mm-hmm. he's like, I'm, I'm a normal guy or whatever. Um, I mean, and fa- I mean, fair enough, I guess, but yeah, but I'm like, uh, no, you know, you're not, dude. You're, I mean, <laughs> you're not like, it's okay to, to be different, especially in this example, because it does feel like, yeah, to your point, he feels like a complete anomaly. Yes. I, I, I yes, I, 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 I mean, you know, I'm sure that this is like a fallacy of like every generation or whatever where you go like, I can't imagine someone will ever be better than him, but I'm sure someone will. But he, he really is just, it's it's unbelievable. Like, I, I feel genuinely excited that I'm alive and a chess nerd uh, at this time with him doing his thing. I know that when I'm watching, when I'm watching coverage of some of the live matches that I, you know, I have, I have no concept of what's going on. So I'm completely reliant on all the commentators contextualizing it yeah. and explaining it, but even without knowing, it's still cool to watch, to have an, some understanding of how good he is. Yeah. And to be able to experience that in real time is still cool. You know, there's that like George Carlin thing that's like, think about how dumb the average person is. And then he kind of inserts a pause and he goes, and they're dumber than that. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's the same thing with Magnus is like, think about what a genius he is. And he's actually even more of a genius than that. Like his play is, it's honestly just, it's so cool. Like I, cause like, also, the dudes that he, like, in these games, like, it's making Nepo look like he's, like, just fine at chess. He He's, like, also a once-in-a-lifetime prodigy at chess, <laughs> you know? But it's, like, he yeah. looks like an idiot and, like, as though, like, he's he's fine. Or, like, if you're watching the commentary on chess.com, and we can stop talking about chess in a second. Awesome. Um, uh, one of the commentators is Fabiano Caruana, who uh, competed against Magnus in the last uh, world chess championship two years, or I guess three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and that guy's a, a, he's a computer. Like Fabiano is one of the smartest and greatest chess players I've ever seen. And they just got 14 draws and then Magnus beat him in blitz. Like, it's just fucking insane. It's just insane. It's, and, and also like the, the one, the Magnus's first win against Nepo in game five, I think um, was like, it was eight. It was over eight hours long. It's the longest game ever in chess championship history, or whatever. And I, I just watched like the last hour of it live, mm-hmm. and it's just like it, it's just amazing. Right, just watching the things he does, and there are so many moves. And you know, if you're someone who plays chess nonstop, and I watch nonstop professional games, so many things he does. You look at it and you just go like, I have no idea why he did that. And then it, it's and then it's he checkmates you. <laughs> like it, it's unbelievable. It's it's crazy. Normally you have it, some idea, like you go like, oh, I guess it's protecting this and this and attacking or threatening this or whatever. But it's like his stuff, it's like it, it's it's like the board is alive when he plays. It's almost like I have no idea why he did that, but I know it's the right move. Yes, yes. I just don't know even how like, yet. It's like sometimes the computer will even say it's not the right move, and then it's like it, it turns out to be the winning move. Like it's it's just this depth that is just insane. Is it is he also known for like um, un- not unconventional? Maybe like inconsistent openings for the sake of throwing off. Uh, no, like, I, 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 I feel what, what's like his that, style? That's like, well, he's considered the universal player. Like his okay. style is literally he can do all of them. <laughs> like, which like okay. it sounds like you know blowing smoke, but it's like it, it's literally he just knows all of the things. Like he, he's, it's unbelievable. Like it, it's, it's like a stereotype of chess genius where it's like. To, to be like, oh, and then he'll do this thing and it'll throw you off or whatever. It's like he 
he's like so universal in his style of play that he won't even do that because also all of these guys are like this with like computer learning being what it is like all of the chess stars now are like it's it's their their learning is incredibly deep there there's not like an opening really that's gonna throw any of them Mm -hmm. they just know all of it all these guys have been playing since they were children like there's none no professional player now was not playing when they were a child so like they've all been playing forever they know all the things so it's also like if he's going to do something that's going to throw you it's like it'll go beyond the opening where it would be like it's like you do all of the opening choreography you know like tons of the openings are exactly the same and all the guys know the exact right sort of responses to each of them going to like 10 moves deep or whatever and then it would be like then on the 11th move he does like uh you know a variation that's only been done one time like actually he was doing this one like Marshall Gambit variation thing in the uh the main opening that they've been doing the Roy Lopez like he 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 started doing this one sort of like novelty move that he really committed to and so it's like it's closer to that which is even harder to understand because it's more like it's not even about the opening it's more like a, a tactical idea within the broader strokes of the overall opening like it, it's it's too smart for me to even I can't explain it because I barely get it yeah that's um yeah, I don't know. At a certain point, when somebody becomes so preternaturally good at it, it feels like the word savant comes out. Yes. You know, like it's just something that is even beyond their understanding. It's just preternatural. Yes. They just have it. And then also, chess is loaded with guys like that. Like there That's, there are so yeah. many chess prodigies, it would blow your mind. Like I can name like 10 right now who are all under 20, who are all just just legitimately chess prodigies, savants at chess. And it's like, well, good luck beating Magnus. <laughs> you know, like, it's so crazy. Well, it reminds me of just professional athletes in general. Like, thinking about, like, basketball with, you know, with Jordan. There are so many other all-timers that played the same time as Jordan. And many of them did not get championships specifically yep. because of them. But it's not about that they aren't all-timers. It's that they were just born in the wrong era. Yep, completely Which agreed. is to say that in the wake of, in the shadow of this otherworldly, uh-huh. you know, the freak of freaks. Yep. And I guess yeah, it sounds like I he's literally just, as he's I watched the, as I've been watching the Nepo games and then seeing that they're being commentated on by Fabiano Caruana, who was up for it or whatever. I mm-hmm. just keep thinking like Fabi has to be thinking I was born in the wrong era. Like he would have <laughs> been the number one. He would have been number one if he was born forty years ago. You know, like it's just so crazy. And I'm thinking the same as Nepo's looking more and more defeated. I'm going like, dude, you. It's crazy. It's just so crazy. You would have been it. You just so happen to be born during the time of like the chess messiah. It's like how yeah, how could you not just have some just a just even just a tinge of like goddamn it energy yes. towards that. Like, yes. Fuck. And Fabiano too, actually. I feel like my one of my favorite things about him is the way he talks about Magnus. It's so reverential. Like yeah. and that's something I really like in chess is a lot of these guys or like the the Indian number one guy who Magnus displaced in that documentary Vishy Anyant, like Vishy just talks about Magnus Magnus with like just pure like admiration and love and stuff and and Vishy's the same way with all these other rising uh, Indian chess stars where it's like it's kind of a cool thing too because games you know like. I'm so sorry that we're getting into so deep into the weeds on no, chess. No, no, like, I'm all about it. After games, you can do computer analysis that that tells you specifically like your mathematical um, like percentage of accuracy. So it would be like it, it measures every single move, and there's like a sort of like a mathematically correct move or response or refutation to what your opponent is doing. And so okay. you know you can ha- like 
the aspiration is to play with the highest level of accuracy and that the the game right before Magnus won was the highest level of accuracy ever attained in a world chess championship match. It was like they wow. had like computer level of accuracy. It was a draw doing the Roy Lopez. Um, but like, so there's, there, there's like this principle that guides it, which is like accuracy. And so like, because of that, it, it's sort of like you can't argue with a loss. I was going to say that, that it's hard. The thing that's going to mitigate resentment is the fact that it's mathematics. And it's, it's the board. It is literally Magnus. So yeah. he says he's like, he's, he does what the board says to do. And, and that's why I'm like, oh, you can't even argue with it. It's like, he's <laughs> just reading it right. And you read it wrong. <laughs> like It's like, it's like, how can you be mad at a machine? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. That's really interesting. And like the what I was curious about too was that I know that you said that with Jan or Nepo that part of it was that just the nature of his blitz chess that he tends yeah. to play kind of arbitrarily amplifies like or ramps up how fast he plays, uh or which then like or no. Whatever. Anyway, that he's not thinking enough on those things. But is part of that too, like the fact that in the latter games that he's had these the blunders, is it that it also just shows how mentally taxing this marathon yes. of a championship is. I think it's cause... definitely that. And then I and I think it's mentally too in, in that like um we live in this the mass communication era too, where like he's probably if he's even checked the internet one time, oh, he's reading people saying that like he's playing too passively and that he's not doing anything. Like and he is too. Like w- he normally makes really wild moves that are that are that would that would get him a win against weaker players. Yeah. And it's like he hasn't been doing that and so he's been playing like high accuracy without like the possibility of like giving an opening to Magnus. But now it's like like today he they with his loss today like he opened with what I think is like a, not a super common opening of uh, C4 which is like third pawn from the left up uh, two squares. Um and I, I feel like he did that today to be like, I'm not going to be passive anymore. I'm going to try this shit out. And then it's like, then he lost again. So I'm like, it's just over. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's, I, I, ugh, the pressure of it. I can't even imagine. Like, I, I always think that about like Steph Curry, where I go like the pressure for him to make a three pointer is unbelievably high. <laughs> and like, yeah, every single defender on the floor is trying to stop him in particular. And it's like, and then he still does it. And like that, that's how he is the same as Magnus. But then it's like all these other dudes, it's like, there's just so much fucking pressure to do the thing. And I just, I, I could not envy anyone less than I envy Nepo. Like I, I would just hate to be, that's my exact nightmare. I just, well, I just can't imagine. I mean, just based on everything we talked about, how intimidating it would be to see him on the other side of that board. Uh, dude, I know. And then to, <laughs> it's like, you have so many different ways you can open but it's like, in a weird way, it's like, God, could you imagine the balls to be able to play how you normally would? Like, not change right. or compromise your style in any way against that when you feels already like you're, you're it's insurmountable. Well, because also it's like, dude, it, even if you go in there and you go like, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm, I'm going to go fucking whatever. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, the, I'm going to do the worst opening. I'm going to go fucking A4 as my opening, uh, which is objectively the worst opening. Um, but he, uh, it's like you do that and you go, but then the guy I'm playing knows exactly like he knows that line too, as accurately as anyone. Like it's like there, there's no way to surprise him. It's just his, his knowledge is, it's as close to understanding the game completely as possible. Well, it sounds like it's like, it's like pissing in the wind. You're just making a move 
praying he just doesn't remember that one. Yes. Randomly, you know, like, and which is like, meanwhile, it's like a guy with truly a steel trap of a memory. Yes. Just like an ungodly. And who has everything to lose. You know what I mean? Like Nepo, Nepo has everything to gain. Magnus has everything to lose. And so you, so he has everything to lose and he's a genius who's going to use his super genius to not lose. You know, it's like, yeah. The stakes are fucking insane. And he's got like a Nordic calmness about him. Yes, dude. I know. Yes. It, his like, his Norwegian-ness is yeah. extremely intimidating. Yeah. It's almost like the, like regionally, from a mentality standpoint for an opponent, the worst place he could be born <laughs> to be, you know, like that on top of it. It's just like, good God. Every, like the stars aligned for him to be an otherworldly chess champ. Truly. And also, like, even when he says something that's sort of, like, undercuttingly or, 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 like, disparaging or whatever in, like, the post-game stuff, it's, it's like, it's sort of immediately forgiven. Even with the blunder today, where Magnus, like, it was such an incorrect move, seemingly, that Magnus looked genuinely confused as if he was missing something. Yeah, well, I was just, uh, what I started to say as well was, was, that that to me is one of the more fun aspects of chess too, or or it's like why it's fun to play anyone even if they never play, is because yeah. bad moves and good moves can sometimes look identical. Where it's like you like, you see like, a move and like, like playing a poker player who d- doesn't know what they're doing can be sometimes more dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. That's what my dad used to say when I would play him when I was like a kid. Is because like I I just had no idea, and so you just like you're. It, it's almost like it's a greater launch pad for creativity. Where it's like you you are just trying shit, and it's also if you're someone who like I I now play so much that I'm so familiar with like I don't know the the handful of types of openings that I play that when I mm-hmm. see someone deviate from it completely, I my instinct is always like. Wait, what? They have a plan. Like they like, there's something yeah, else oh. happening here, or whatever. <laughs> and it starts to become. What like, do they know that I? Yeah, don't. exactly. Or it's like, what it, is it possible that they're coming to this and like spotting a weakness because they're not familiar with it or something, and so they can just start off by seeing some other opening or something. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And also with guys like Jan too, where it's like, as I said, like he he's known for kind of making these kind of crazier moves that like you know would throw someone. And so I would be looking for that as well, especially after several games of high, high accuracy. I imagine you're thinking like, okay, now he's going to try some really tricky, crazy shit that's going to really try and throw me off. And then you go, oh, no, that was just a full-on blunder. It does feel like chess could be, I could see it being a game where you can really, really overthink it. Yes. You know, you can really get in your head about it because those infinitesimal possibilities can you know, like uh, analysis paralysis. Yeah. Like I can imagine it could be too much. I, I have had it intense. where I see where, where I have directly benefited from that, where I, I'll be playing someone in shorthand for over the board is OTB. I'll be playing someone in OTB and like, just like in like a bar at my house or something. And I will sort of discover that I am in an absolutely losing position <laughs> that I'm like, Oh <laughs> fuck. I don't know how I got here, but this person is winning. Uh, but then I will see that they don't see that and that they're looking at me like I have this plan, which I don't. <laughs> and then I'll watch them slowly let their winningness slip away from them all because they believed I was doing something that I wasn't. It's like, it's That's... one of the craziest experiences. I, I, anytime I've benefited from that, it is, it's wonderful. <laughs> You're like, okay, I, I cannot, I gotta have a poker face, so to speak here. To not show that they are getting me, but but even then they might catch the thing, on. Though that's so crazy is y- your poker face actually 
because of what you're talking about with the analysis paralysis is if you actually look concerned, it's likely that they're going to still read into that as going like, oh, what did I do something bad? Did I make a, a bad move? You know, like they, it, it's like oh. it, it's like they people play against themselves very hard. So is it in a way that like they're because by the very nature of what you're doing, there are so many possibilities that it feels almost impossible to throw somebody off. Yes, because it could go anywhere. Yes. Okay. And, and no one wants to have confidence like when they're playing like they're because everyone's so scared of like having to sort of eat their confidence or whatever, like thinking that they're playing well and then losing. So everyone like I've, I've basically never played someone who doesn't, you know, sort of like like sweetly tell me at the beginning of the game that actually they're really bad. I'm like really bad at just whatever. Like everyone says that because it's such an intimidating thing to even begin that you don't want to say you're good so that then when when or if you lose you feel like you're an idiot who is boastful. Well, yeah, and, and I would imagine that it's so, again, it's so complicated that, I don't know, if I would hear somebody say they're good, then in my head that would mean, oh, you're good. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because there's so much to that. Yes, I, yes absolutely. I, I always like really try to underscore before I play someone that I'm like, I'm not good. It's likely I'll be better than you because I play nonstop. But like, I always think like, yeah, but if I played against like a professional player or something, it would be basically no different from you playing against a professional player. Yeah. I, uh, on chess.com, my name is Brandon Amateur. Nice. (laughs) Good for you. So minimally, I'm not selling a false bill of goods. Worst case, I'm unintentionally hustling hustling somebody by the very nature of absolute ignorance. Yes. I was just going to say, like... I I just beat this dude the other day whose whose username was Pro Player sixty four, and I just go like and and like his rating is significantly lower than mine. And I just go like, dude, don't. Why would you do that? Why would you possibly do that? Like first and foremost, you're not a pro, so like, why would you do that? It's just totally insane. And even if it is like a self fulfilling prophecy, it's still just uh, you're gonna. You're going to need more than a name on a website. Yes, yes. And it's like, dude, you can make a username later on, like, when you are a pro. You know, like, just start with your fucking Brandon Amateur name, and then when you really get sick at it, fucking delete that and create a new one where you're a pro. So I'd say, as somebody who initially put their first and last name as their login, it was like, oh, this is a bad idea. And then realized, oh, I have one opportunity to change this, so I went with Brandon Amateur. Mine's mine's please uh, hail Satan. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you get a lot of yeah. very funny uh, it messages <laughs> with that username. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. He's <laughs> Satan. Yeah. I didn't want to ask you, too, that uh, the guest house, I watched that. Oh, yeah. I liked it. A lot of fun. Oh, dude, so fun. I loved that. That was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. I also was interested by the, um, what I imagine are like the uh, a triumvirate of interesting energies in Steve-O, Pauly Shore, and Billy Zane. Yeah, and Bobby Lee. And Punky Johnson. Oh, yeah. She's on SNL. It was great all around. Like each of those people was more collaborative than you ever would guess. Oh, that's cool. And Steve-O was like way more pro than I ever would have guessed as well. Like pro in that like he wanted to run lines a lot and then like wanted to like do the scenes multiple times and stuff, you know? Like I'm always I'm big on like all right, we got it. We're good, right? Let's get it. Let's move along. Yeah. And he was very like like let's do it again. And we'd, you know, do it again. <laughs> uh I thought he was great. He was great, dude, and he's just the best. Like I, he was the the person I was the most excited to meet uh, when I when I got that job. Jackass is. I don't think I've ever laughed harder. Arguably, it's iconic. Well, I was literally I did a show last night, and afterwards, the Jackass randomly came up, and we were all talking about like if you just fucking 
put that up like in a movie theater right now how it would be just still so fun and like engaging to watch like it's just amazing it's just they say that about adam sandler that the reason his movies are so popular is because the broadness of them transcends language like you can put his movie on in any country in netflix it'll become the number one movie because you don't really need any kind of dialogue to laugh at the joke or the the pratfalls or whatever else but i think that with jackass too that it's just it's inherently just so human and funny and it's it it's and amazing. it's like it, it's inherently interesting mm-hmm. too. Like the the key thing I, I was thinking about as we were talking about last night is I'm like, it's just interesting in ways that you don't expect it to be. Like, why is it interesting to watch these guys like light their farts on fire? And it like kind of is because then they want to escalate. Yeah. It. You know, it's like each thing becomes inherently more interesting than seems like it should. Even just thinking about um the scene with Bam Margera where they threw snakes on him and he's terrified of snakes. And they ask him, mm-hmm. are you crying? And he goes, well, yeah. Like the most, <laughs> that's just a human response and just a guy truly terrifying. And yet it's riveting at the same time. Yes, yeah. Riveting really is the oh, word. It's so good. But I, even that line, uh, I really laughed hard when <laughs> Steve-O runs, I think, head first into a, a wall or a beam. And he goes, why do I always uh-huh. hit a stud? And that's it was a great line, line read, really good joke. It's a funny movie. And I'm almost certainly that uh, almost certain that that was improvised. Like the the director Sam Macaroni was like very very pro everyone just saying whatever they think is funny, which is like not it it sounds common because of the seeming proliferation or popularization of improv yeah. on set, but most jobs it's like it's low key actually not improv. Like, they'll go, like, oh, it's improv, but it's, like, that you said, like, a word differently or whatever. But then some jobs, Bruce Brothers was like this as well, they actually do want you to fully improvise, you know? And it was a lot of stuff on the guest house thing. It would be, like, I would go over to the writer or director, and I would say, like, I don't really get this line or whatever. And they'd just go, like, well, what would you say? And then I'd say some random shit. They're, like, yeah, just do that or something like that. And I'd go, like, awesome. Okay, great. And so it was a lot of that with Steve-O as well and with everybody. You know, it's one thing to improvise, but it's another thing to improvise within character where you're actually, because, uh-huh. you know, you see certain movies and it's just like, you see moments that were improvised and it's patently obvious because tonally it's <laughs> diametrically opposed to everything else in the movie. Yes. And they just yes, go yes, for, yes. you know, funny in isolation, but like not, doesn't make any sense in yes, any kind of cohesive yes, way. Funny yes, in at all. Yeah. But yeah, I imagine though it's tough to like do it in a way that's, Seems organic, seems to totally fit. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a different dimension. But, but it's sort of like if if they're setting that as a precedent across like the entire thing, like it's not just you, the one improv person or something, and they're just going like, because it was like there there was improv in like romantic or like sweet scenes as well, where it was like it's improv that you know there, there's improv that's trying to be funny, and then there's improv that's trying to be <laughs> authentic, and like if you do it really well, then it's both at the same time. But like they would just like set you up to just be like, yeah, just say like the thing that is like sort of like sweet and like good natured in this moment, even though like we think of improv as being like, you should say the funny thing here. If instead they're going like, it's just the thing that feels like it's real here, then that's like the best use of improv, I think. But also like, isn't that largely the point of improv? It's like, it's not to like steal focus. It's to do it organically within a scene that's also 
supporting the other people you're improvising with. Fully. And I come from, I'm from Chicago yeah. and like, you know, I, I was first doing like theatery theater in Chicago where it's like, the thing I always say about improv shows, I'm like, it's actually all going to be funnier if you act well. If You know, if it's it's equally it's equally about the acting and about the comedy mm-hmm. of it. And so then a lot of the time the comedy becomes not even that you're act, doing something funny, it's that you're acting authentic in like a framework that doesn't almost doesn't seem to call for acting authentically. Or it's like just simply being authentic in a response like, if uh, a character gets shot in an improv scene or whatever, and you are sobbing and you can't believe what you're saying, it's like that's funnier than the more common like sort of denial of the reality or the ironic detachment from the moment that you see in a lot of improv. And that makes sense. It's kind of like going with the current instead of against it. It just yeah, exactly meshes so much better that way. And also though, like <laughs> I just imagine I can imagine so many like improv classes of somebody just overtly trying to be the funny one. Yes. And it just does not mesh at all. It's unbelievably unpleasant <laughs> when oh, someone man. is just like trying to be funny the entire time and you're going like, but imagine that this scene is taking place in real life, dude. You seem like you're trying to be funny then in real life. And that's annoying. You're like, wow, this is, you clearly should just do stand up if this is what <laughs> yes. you're going to do because you clearly do not work well with others. Yes. <laughs> Not that every stand-up is that way, but just the, obviously, the who gives it? Why am I trying to preface this? I was going to say, you don't need to put that caveat in, and actually, most stand-ups are like that. Yeah, no, I could see that. I, like, I will, I will say, any of my friends who were behaving selfishly and stupidly or arrogantly or whatever during the early days of the pandemic, a- across the board, all of them were stand-up comedians. And I was like, well, that's that's what the art form is a little bit setting you up for, I would say. That's interesting. Yeah. I could also see that, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> What's your favorite language that you've learned? Oh, Japanese, hands down. Is it? it is, it's the coolest. It's so fun. It's so hard. I just imagine Japanese and Chinese are incredibly complicated. Yeah, I, I think Chinese seems more complicated than Japanese, but I'm like I'm like five years deep into doing Japanese yeah. now. Um, but it, it, it requires like so many like steps in your head that it's... It, it's similar to sort of the, the why of it being addicted to chess, where it's mm-hmm. like, it, it it's so almost like punishing that it becomes sort of like comforting or fun or something. Yeah, again, I kind of relate to the, <clears throat> excuse me, like the semi-masochistic element of that. Yeah. Well, then the reward is way higher, though. It's like True. anytime I beat someone who's good at chess, it feels fucking amazing. And anytime I'm able to like perfectly translate a Japanese sentence that is hard, I'm like, oh, that's like the greatest reward. Like I, the first language I was doing was German many years ago. And German is so similar to English that it, it's almost like not rewarding mm-hmm. when you get it. You go, it's it's a lot of like oh duh kind th- of moments. See, where with Japanese, it's just it's so complicated that anytime you get it, it feels like you just ran a marathon. See, that's the thing though. I I think that had never really thought about it before, but I think I'm attracted to something like that because I'm chasing the dragon of like maximum feeling of accomplishment. Yes, you know, and like just the payoff of that is. It's very satisfying. <laughs> it's well, the experience, with, and I, I've said this on a podcast before, but like th- the experience specifically of Lauren and I went to Tokyo. I didn't, I had never learned a single thing about the uh, Japanese cultural language really mm-hmm. up to that point. And then we went there and I was, you know, like many, you know, gangly white guys before me, I, I was amazed and I was like, I never want to leave here. 
And then we went back again after like three years of me nonstop studying Japanese. Mm -hmm. And the experience of like speaking Japanese in a taxi or in a hotel or like actually being able to order food and and say it has to be vegetarian or whatever. It, it is the most rewarding language experience I have ever had. And and, and also, like, the mo- one of the most rewarding just, like, cultural experiences I've ever had of, like, being able to do something, like, respectful and, like, you know, making Americans not look like dumbasses and just being, like, I'm going to speak Japanese. I'm going to be as polite as humanly possible. And, God damn it, I'm going to understand <laughs> what you're saying no matter what. But you say, you're also just, like days of nonstop being bathed in accomplishment of, yes, i did yes, all this yes. and you're validating me all the time yes just and by saying hi to shocked, me shocked shocked that i that <laughs> i would speak any japanese and that was like my actual favorite like when we first got there the second time i remember we were like in the hotel and like i'd done i'd spoken a little bit of like sort of koi japanese to uh like the the guy checking us in and then when we were in the elevator <laughs> as like this girl was taking us up i then just started saying the numbers of all the floors and this woman was overjoyed laughing <laughs> and then was like saying stuff to me in japanese and i was struggling to respond and it was like it was like then when we got into our room it, it was like i was a teenage girl who had just like gotten kissed by my crush like <laughs> i turned on Lauren, and i was like did you see that exactly oh my. like i was so overjoyed it was just awesome like i just imagine as i'm walking up to like the front desk turning to her and saying watch this and just <laughs> asking for a room key or something yeah, and just yeah. bathing luxuriating <laughs> And the accomplishment of getting well, that, that, that again is also though it's a little bit like saying you're gonna you're good at chess and and how like you kind of don't want to do that like yeah. for me part of it is I would never set myself up to do it well like I I would never say watch this because then I'm like because that's when I won't be able to think of any of the words so for me it's like it has to it has to occur suddenly and <laughs> like without any advanced warning yeah like it, it you know like there was like my other like a real watch this moment was like we were in a ramen place uh, in Osaka. And this couple was like sitting at this table and they the menu was all in Japanese and they were like frantically trying to figure out if they could get something vegetarian. And then like they're trying to talk to the waitress, they're trying to order. And then I lean over and and say that they want it vegetarian or whatever. And it, it was like, but if I had said to Lauren, like, check this out, I, I wouldn't have been able to. Do yeah, exactly. It. Like, I, I would have suddenly just like thrown up on them and then it would have been over. That's like me um, unintentionally, like you're just doing an impression of something. And then it ends up good, and then somebody says, do it again. And I'm like, oh, yes. no, I can't. No. Yes, yes, No, because yes, I'm thinking yes. about it now. It's not possible. Yes. yes. I, I, for a while, actually, when I was younger, I remember I always used to be like, like privately, I can do a really, really funny Bobcat Goldwaith impression. But if, they, but if I tell someone I can do it, <laughs> exactly. then I'm unable to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that feels like why I can't tell whether I'd be good or bad at chess, because I get in my head about stuff, and then it's just over. Yes. And so, and, but in that regard, though, like the deep... What it feels like uh, of like the deep seated like needing to deep thinker part of chess to where that actually could work for me in its own way. So well, also my my advice too on just on that aspect of chess play, if you understand why you lost, you you, why you lost, you're learning. So it's like for me, I go like a lot of times it's like you'll lose and then you'll get so frustrated that it's like you just kind of walk away from it. But if instead you look at it and you go like, okay, wait, so it was when I did this, that opens this, that does, I see, okay, so I lost because of this or whatever. I think that that's the key way to play chess. It's like definitely get in your head, understand you're going to get in your head. It, you know, I've, I've now been playing pretty nonstop for like four years or so. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's the, every time I start a game, my heart starts pounding and I'm like, all right, here we fucking go. Here we <laughs> fucking go, idiot. You know, and it's just it's, it just never goes away. So it's like you got to just convince yourself of all the ways in which like you'll benefit from it, I guess. I can see that. I think also, though, the again, depending on how you see it of extremely daunting and impossible or exciting to know you'll never know everything about it. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, in, in that Magnus documentary that you, you've also seen, they say a thing early on, I think his dad, Heinrich, says it, that basically after the first like three moves, there's over 18 billion permutations for moves. <laughs> and it's like, that is so, literally the mind cannot hold that much. Like, we, we can't even visualize that number, really. And so then you go, it's that many possible moves after the first three, whatever. It becomes so massive and daunting that to me, I'm like, it's not even worth being daunted by. Yeah. It's so insurmountable that it's like, it's if you are able to even win one game, it's pretty cool. I was just saying, the impossibility of that, though, is it, it makes it kind of low stakes in that regard. Yes. No, exactly. You That's know, exactly so, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like, oh, well, fuck it. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sure. fuck it. Yeah. And especially too, it's like if you're playing an AI or something, you're like, it it can process that many things. So like <laughs> if I beat it, it's fucking dumb. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Is like if the computer loses, that speaks more to the engineers yes. than anything yeah, else. That computer's a loser. In theory, it should have all of the answers. Yes. But that's also though, like even with uh Kasparov or Kasparov, that uh when he played Deep Blue, you mm -hmm. know, in theory Granted, that was many years ago that he should have lost every time. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's fucking amazing yeah. that he didn't. He's the best. I love that fucking dude. He's so funny. He seems really cool on top yeah, of the Yeah, he, he's very cool. I like that he's so like outspokenly against Putin and, and you yeah. know, that whole system over there. And he, also his accent is just genuinely very funny. <laughs> <laughs> he also, though, just, I don't know, it feels like um, when you go that deep into the rabbit hole of this understanding of this incredibly complicated, seemingly impossible game. I don't know. Part of me is just like, God, I, it's wild to, that somebody doesn't lose their mind going that rabbit right. hole, but then also to seemingly be pretty well-adjusted. It's, it's very impressive. So, like, and that's the case with Magnus. Like, He's yeah. just like a cool dude who likes soccer and shit. I'm like, that's so insane <laughs> that he can be that and that. Yeah, also, it, I want to I say, Kasparov, Kasparov, whatever, he was a, a child savant as well uh, at chess. Like, There are pictures of him as like a six-year-old beating grandmasters and shit. God. It's just, it goes so fucking deep, man. Yeah, and he's, um, I think I read that the longest tenure as a champion was 27 yeah. years. Yeah. 27, 28, almost 28 years. He was 15 years. Yeah. Madness has had it since 2013. Yeah. And it seems like... Uh, it, it seems like insane seems like, that it would go that long. Yes. and it, But it also seems like... Uh, I don't know. It seems like it's going to go on for a while. It seems like eight years is going to... Could just easily turn to 16 at this point. But Yeah, but I, I'm curious. I'm very curious. Because I, I, I think that we're also in like the heyday of learning chess. Like there are so many tools, so many resources for learning it now. That I go like it, it's got to be harder to stay number one. Like there's this kid named Ali Reza Faruja who is, uh, yeah, I think he's Iranian, but I think he's switching and he's playing for the French team now. Okay. Um, but he's unbelievably good. I think he's 17. He he just broke the 2800 mark yet. I think he's the youngest player to ever do that. Um, and he has a kind of famous game against Magnus from 2019 that uh, it, it makes you think like, I to, to me I'm like he's the next challenger. Although it'll more likely be the Chinese chess player Ding Loren, 
That's my I'll put money are, on that right now. You are you got this knowledge. So it's <laughs> but it's like the um but yeah, like computers completely level the more so level the playing field as opposed to like, you know, thirty years ago you find an obscure book in a library. Yes. And that could change everything. Yes, right. Absolutely. And it's like, I, I always think about like all the guys who, who were becoming full on chess geniuses, whatever, just from those books, you know? And yeah. now it's like, there's like this website called Chessable and you can basically like you download a book into the program and then you can walk through every single variation of a known line for a specific opening. That's And so it's like, like for me, I'm like, my, I love doing the Queen's Gambit. I love doing uh, the Sicilian, the open Sicilian. So I, that's white and black. And for me, I'm like, I, so I just, I just did, I do lessons in those and I'll just go so deep in both of those that I'm like, that's my whole repertoire basically is those two and like a couple of random ones. But it's like, that's new. That's newly available in like the last 10 years, you know? That's amazing. Just, and and I'm, I must say, I'm strictly not a genius. So then the <laughs> idea of being a genius at it and then having those resources, it's just fucking insane. And just the nature of that genius to have that just to, incalculable preternatural understanding of it on top of the resources yes the genius intellect and memory and i don't know it just makes me think that for somebody to be the best of the best and to seemingly be currently clearly that like definitively that currently if not historically it's hard not to even though i'm deeply ignorant towards the game to not be in awe of that yeah absolutely and and that's uh, to the point from earlier. I'm like, and all the big dogs in, in the chess world are in awe of it. Which, yeah, it's to, to be that good, to be like, like what can you do? Like, you got to, re- like, dear God, you got to right. respect So it. then it's going to take another preternatural freak to de- dethrone <laughs> him, you know, which is pretty exciting to think about. And I, I think it's probably Ali Reza Ferruja. So like, yeah, so the groundwork is being laid for that. Yes, 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 yes. Also, I want to say, just without looking it up, just for anyone listening to this who's going to and look up any chess stuff, I want to say that the longest chess champion was Alekin. Looks like it's spelled Alekin. I'd say it was a German guy. Uh, from, so then it might be William Steinitz. It was 27 or 28 years, I remember. My two guesses are, are Alekin or Steinitz. And uh, Capablanca beat him, if I remember correctly. Oh, dude, God, I love Capablanca. He's he's like where all, uh, if you ever read a chess book, you got to start with Capablanca, my, my best games. Really? Yeah, he, I think he's the best. He's Cuban. He's so awesome. When Magnus was asked to like, they gave him like a word uh, as a descriptor and then put the chess player in there. And I think it was like exciting or something uh-huh. was the word. And he put Capablanca. Oh, as I was that. wrong. It was Emmanuel Lasker. Okay. Damn it. Uh, you should look up a picture of Lasker. He's got a very funny little face. Okay. Um, well, I, also to me, I'm like, that's what Magnus is, is exciting. It's like, or, or and then there's this dude named Mikhail Tall, who I think was a, a one-time world champion, who's like, his whole thing was just like shocking sacrifices. Like he was constantly trading off his queen, um, which is so fun to watch. For Did the show Queen's Gambit, Did was that well accepted in the chess community? Yeah, to a point where it became kind of annoying, <laughs> where it was like a lot of chess streamers would be like, please, no questions about chess, uh, Queen's Gambit. Uh, uh, and also, yeah. you know, like Gary Kasparov and like a few famous chess composers like composed all the games in that show. So like all the games are like actually riveting if you love chess. Oh, so they're like they had top notch technical advisors on that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so it's it's like I know like almost none of the actors on the show know how to play chess. And it was like but they were playing some of like the most masterfully composed games like ever, which was really very cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
I know. Um, there had been buzz about it for like several months before it had come out that they. Oh was, really? This new Netflix show is coming out based on this book, and they had like Gary and all these other dudes like compose the games or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. No, it's a great show, and um, yeah, Scott Frank, writer director, he's amazing. So um, what else has he done? He was first a major screenwriter in the '90s. Wrote Get Shorty. Oh, nice. Amongst many others, he also made Uh a movie. His first his director debut was The Lookout with Jesse Gordon Levitt. Which actually, oh no shit! Which I really oh, like nice. that movie. It holds oh up really yeah, well. that's a great movie. And he did the um, before this, before Queen's Gambit. He Matthew did Matthew Good, I think, is also in the. Yes, lookout. that is great. Yeah, and um, the show that he did before on Netflix before Queen's Gambit was Godless, with oh uh, nice Jeff oh, Daniels no of the Western. Yeah. Great wow. show too. Really talented dude. And he also did a Walk Among the Tombstones, which is a pretty underrated. Uh uh-huh. uh What's his name? We live in a, in, in a great fucking time for for art, you know. Oh, is is that Liam Neeson in that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that movie was like that script was around for like like so many before, like fifteen years, and a so million crazy. different people were attached to it. Yeah, like like at one point, like Harrison Ford was attached to it. Although I'm sure he's been attached to a thousand movies. Just like yeah, yeah. Spielberg is just like yeah, I'll do that, and then if something becomes hot, and then he sells it off to somebody else. But um, it's, it's kind of like fucking what's that one that ever like the so many people have owned the rights to it uh, Confederacy of Dunces. <laughs> yeah. So I remember some of the actors that were attached to that, like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh-huh. And I think John Goodman at one point, like it's Bill Murray. Yes. John it's Belushi. Like, I'm like, oh, it's, oh, been you know like what? it's been like everyone. I think David Gordon Green was going to do it at one point. Uh, Arkansas native. Actually. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Arkansas, by the way. Uh, oh, right I forgot on. to mention that. But uh, Arkansas native David Gordon Green was going to do it with Zach Galifianakis, I think, like, oh, post wow. The Hangover when he was hot and everybody was attaching to everything. Uh-huh. Uh, I love Zach. He's so funny. He, he, he is. I remember the first, one of the first things I watched on Netflix was the first Netflix original of any sort, which was Zach Galifianakis Live at the Purple Onion. Oh, yeah. And that was a great show, too. Unbelievably I funny. I still remember. <laughs> I still I, I, a friend and I laugh a lot still about the uh, five-year-old who hates having a beard. <laughs> yeah, I don't like having a beard. It hurts. My beard hurts. <laughs> One of the funniest things ever. That and the pretentious illiterate. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, it's perfect. Just perfect premises, too. I Yes, I love just... Um, that's what I respect so much about actors like the Will Fortes of the world, for example, of the otherworldly commitment to the dumbest shit in the world. Yep. That yep, is yep, yep. the best to me. Wait, uh, where did I just see this? I just saw some like SNL sketch from Forever Go. I want to say it was Will Forte, where it's like, <laughs> it's like he's like spelling some. It's like a spelling bee, and he's spelling some word wrong. But yes, it, it's yes, like seven hundred yes. letters, and he goes like P T. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. Truly, so good. Just perfect brute force comedy. Yeah, I'm uh, like we said before recording the. Uh, I could not be more excited for the MacGruber TV series. Yeah, same. I think, um, and even, even this year, you know, Barb and Star came out and it had that a very similar energy yep, to me yeah, of yeah. that. And I think it's like high un- absurdism that's also somehow like manages to feel like authentic and like, yes. almost emotionally grounded or something. Yeah, it's the fact that like it's a it's also the fact that there was story logic in a an absurd movie. Like mm-hmm. there, it was really good writing on top of being absurdly funny with so many funny people in it 
all, and all completely committed. Jamie Dornan and having him be genuinely funny is just wild. I was shocked by that because a, as an actor, I was like, man, um, emotiveness is not his friend. And right. the fact that he was so loose and game, I gained a lot of respect for him. Me too. As an actor, I just didn't know where that was in him, to be honest. Right, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that also as a fan. Like I, I, you know, I mainly think of him as the guy from The Fall. Um, but he's, a, he's really good in it too. Yeah, and, he's fucking, he's excellent. And he's clearly a talented guy, and he's about to be nominated for an Oscar for Belfast. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I watched that the other day. I really like. So him. annoying, and he's so handsome too. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, and uh. <laughs> It's like, oh, wow, you're a former model turned actor and you're really good at it. Hey, yeah. fuck you, buddy. Bummer. Well done. <laughs> Respectfully, go fuck yourself. Uh, yeah, if you want to watch an interesting movie that he stars in that is, I talked about last episode with Aaron McGathy, watch Wild Mountain Time. It is bonkers. What's it called? Wild Mountain Time? Yeah, it takes place in Ireland. Uh, beautiful movie. It's Emily Blunt and him. But there is a moment uh, at about the last 15 minutes that is truly wild okay all right yeah, yeah. I'll check this out using that christopher walken doing his version of an irish accent oh hell is, yeah oh john ham's in it too yeah what? john ham is the american cousin oh good yeah. good that he's not doing it's, irish it is a movie that was originally a play it's also by my michael patrick shanley who wrote moon uh uh moonlight no fuck 19 moonstruck is what he wrote oh it's, wow he also wrote and directed joe versus the volcano Great movie. Love that movie. Uh-huh. And he also did, you know, diametrically opposed tonally, the movie Doubt, which was based on his play. Oh, wow. Uh, very different. But does, all... does Aaron still live in Ireland? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, she's in Dublin. Oh, that's great. She's great. Um, yeah, she's cool. Okay. Well, we're at 102, an hour and two minutes. Let's oh, wrap shit. this up. Sure, this is yeah. a delight. Thank you for doing this first oh, of all. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's very fun. It. Damn, um, that flew by. It really did. Uh, what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? What do I want to what? Uh, point people toward any thing. Brew Brothers on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah. Brew Brothers Netflix. Uh, I'm on the next episode of Curb. Oh, um, awesome! I'm excited about that. Yeah, that should be cool. Did you get yelled um, at by Larry David? What'd you say? Did Larry David? Did you get the? Did he get to yell at you? I did. I did get to have a fight with Larry. Yeah. Oh, congrats! Yeah. It was very fucking surreal to me. It was like one of these job experiences where like it's feeling absurd as it's happening or whatever. Like just in (laughs) that every job feels absurd to me basically. Like I can't ever believe that I get to work. Um, But it's like as it's happening, I'm feeling this thing I I felt on stage doing improv where I'm going like, "Mm, that feels a little too Kirby. But I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm literally on curb. So it, of course, it feels very Kirby that this thing is happening or whatever. It's like it was hard to like sort of wrap my mind around it as it was happening yeah no i imagine also that yeah you've you work with some real legends now that i think about it with uh your first job was christopher guest yeah, right? yeah. george went indeed yeah oh yeah Larry david yeah i will actually here's a piece of advice for people uh it, it, you know as they enter the industry or whatever uh, so my first job was a commercial that was directed by Christopher Guest, and it was—I mean, it was so fresh that I like still had all of my stuff in my car. Like it had happened in my first few weeks of living uh, in LA. Yeah. And I remember I—I I made what what has even to this day I'm like I think that was the biggest professional faux pas I've ever made, which was that 
I really tried to impress onto him what a fan I was. <laughs> oh, no. Like to a point yeah. where I like couldn't stop talking about how I had watched every Christopher Guest movie like with commentary. And I think I even said, I feel like we've already talked. <laughs> like where, where it was like it, it, it could have led to me stabbing him is how it, in <laughs> retrospect where I'm like you really over oversold it and then it made it so that like he could sort of like not talk to me normally again after that and this was before parasocial relationships was a term <laughs> at least a ubiquitous one you know as we are but yes but what I mean, you were probably like, what like mid-20 early mid-20s at that point yeah, i was 22 yeah oh well they're shit yeah yeah it would have been a disaster for me regardless of yes. trying it anyway. Yes. I had no concept of what I was doing in life at 22. It was totally fucking insane. But it, it truly was. It was like, because he was in my commercial, like the audition for it. And I played it cool then. Yeah. But then it was when I was actually on set, I didn't play it cool. And then it was like, it's like the most uncomfortable I've ever felt on a set. Because I just kept, I, I couldn't be fucking normal. And it was like. Anytime he'd like look at me, uh, I felt like I would like try to do something funny, and it was just. It, anytime I think of it, I'm ashamed. <laughs> yeah, I, he does strike me as somebody where. By the way, like it's so easy for me to say because I'm like never gonna encounter him, so I can say whatever with you know every bit <laughs> yeah, of distance. Sure, yeah. But just the idea of like he feels like definitely a less is more guy, and maybe it's yes, like entirely. you 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 play it slow, and like maybe he'll open up, and then you. Take yes. it, but it's like, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Little bits go a long way. What I, what I have since learned is the way that you should do it is you just be good at the thing you're there to do. Be a okay. normal person. And then if it ever comes up, you kind of just take being a fan of theirs as being like an of course or like an incidental. You go, okay. oh, yeah, well, of course, I've, I've uh, seen everything you've ever done. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you don't say it. You don't lead with it, uh, even though it it feels it feels instinctively like you should do that because then it'll make them like you but it actually makes them think that you see them not as a person i think and okay so it just makes everything weird yeah and that makes sense yeah maybe like uh play the play the long con of waiting a while to then yes ask a question that is clearly from a, a place of deep-seated fandom yes years ago i did a pilot with reggie watts and it, oh. it was after i had already done the christopher guest thing and so I was like, specifically when I heard Reggie was cast, I, I'm like such a diehard, like unbelievable Reggie fan that I was yeah. like, okay, don't fucking do the thing <laughs> where you oversell it or whatever. And so for the first few days on set, I saw everyone else was doing that. And I just kept not, not doing it. And I was just going like, hey, what's going on? You want to go get lunch or something? And I was just be very casual <laughs> yeah. with him. And then one day he says something about his music. And then I was like. I, I, I then referenced like a YouTube video he had done many years earlier, just casually stating that I knew this one thing by name, whatever. <laughs> and it was like, it was, it's the, the way you got to do it. A hundred percent. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for doing this. This is great. Oh yeah. This was super fun. I thank really you. appreciate your time. Thank <laughs> you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please get vaccinated or, and, or get a booster. Uh, be kind to yourself. Lead with empathy, etc. Thank you again. Goodbye. Hell yeah. Thank you.